You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Well, hello. Thanks for tuning in to your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 42. Okay, with me today, we have a special guest. This is Ryan Eiler, the founder of Wonderman Games and the designer of Quad Heroes. Ryan, welcome to your Tables on Fire. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. All right, we're excited you're here. Ryan, why don't you kick things off for us and just introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Ryan Eiler. I'm from uh, Ottawa, Canada. Um, and yeah, I, I'm a graphic designer and uh, animator by trade. And uh, I also uh, making games. Okay. Well, uh, so like you said, your day job is maybe more in the digital space. Uh, so how long have you been playing physical board games? Uh, as long as I can remember, but I would say being heavily into physical board games probably just the last five or six years. Was there a particular game that kind of got you hooked? That is hard to say. Um, I'd, I'd say it's more of a slow evolution. Um, I, I played Magic the Gathering for years uh, since I was in university, so almost 20 years. So I was kind of pretty heavily into Magic for a long time, and slowly got into tabletop games. I can't point directly to something that changed. Probably Settlers of Catan was a big one. I guess a lot of people probably say that, but I hadn't really played something that had a little more, something a little di more different than, than other games I'd played before and, until then. But uh, I'm not even really a big fan of that game, but uh, <laughs> it helped get the ball rolling. It helped get the ball rolling, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's funny how often that, that comes up. Well, what about nowadays? What are, are you, any games that you really enjoy playing these days? There are too many to list. Uh, unfortunately, my board game collection is growing faster than I can keep up with, and I'm guessing that's a pretty common problem out there. Is that a lot of un, a lot of unplayed games? But I would say my favorite game that I've played this year is Terraforming Mars. While that's very different from Quad Heroes uh, in just about every single way, um, <laughs> it it, re it really pushes a lot of my buttons. Uh, I'm not necessarily uh, just a worker placement guy or or a Euro gamer at all, but uh, but yeah, Terraforming Mars is a lot of a lot of fun for me. I'm also liking Cry Havoc is a good one that I've been playing recently. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't have a specific genre that I like, but. Uh, those two are probably the standouts for me recently uh, as far as new games. Okay, great. Well, so you mentioned you know, you're not necessarily a worker placement guy. What, I guess, in your opinion, what makes a really good game? I think a game that engages people on a lot of different levels. I mean, it, speaking from like my personal experience and the kind of things that I like, I like games that bring people together at the table and you're not just sitting there playing by yourself. And even though I, I would say Terraforming Mars has a little bit of that sort of solo play aspect, th there's certainly player interaction there. And, and I like when players are interacting because, you know, I, I mean, that's why I play board games is to sort of get together with friends and, and do something interesting and, and sort of wrap my brain around something that is different from what I do every day. Obviously, some games are better for, for different reasons, or a lot of games are, but... Uh, 
for me, games that tell a story as you're playing them and, and afterward you remember moments like, oh, I remember when that happened or you did this and, and that changed this. Uh, uh, and, and that's really kind of something that drives me when I'm playing is, is to, after I'm finished, I'll remember a, a story based on that. Like what, not, it doesn't have to be specifically a story like, like a, a role-playing game or that kind of thing, but, but just mm. the, the sort of set of occurrences that happen during the game were interesting and, and fun. Mm-hmm. Well, along those lines, can you think of a, uh, an epic story or moment that happened in a game? Recently, I, I think most of those relate to the game that I designed, uh, Quad Heroes, just because I, I play it so often. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. There, there, are, there are so many moments in, the, in that game that, that are just like, I can't believe that happened. And uh, So like you mentioned, you're designing your own game. When did you start getting into game design? A long time ago, actually, really before I started getting into a lot of tabletop games. Um, hmm. in, in my day job, I've, I've done some game design, uh, mostly for things like marketing and uh, like electronic games and e-learning and that kind of thing. Hmm. So I, I've been doing that a lot, but um, I started working on some early game design concepts, I would say 15, 20 years ago, um, back when I first kind of went on my own uh, to do my, my business. But a lot of those ideas didn't go anywhere, and they just sort of sat on a in a folder on my computer somewhere. And once in a while, I would drag them out to to play with them. And it was sort of that slow process that kind of slowly invested me into game design. Hmm. hmm. Can you uh, tell us about one of your very very early games that you put together? Um, yeah, and, and that game is probably something I'll still develop at some point because it's not quite oh. it's not quite there. Um, I had a game, it doesn't really have a name, I was calling it Avatar, but essentially the idea was, and, and I think this concept, uh, like a high concept, I guess, has been done before, but the idea is that you're controlling uh, a character of uh, a different factions, and each faction has its own advantages and disadvantages. The, the thing that made this different, or at least I thought it was, there may be something out there that's like it now, was that you start with sort of a... Originally, they were going to be constructed, so you had actual physical models where it would be a base body, and then there would be sort of these snap-on pieces, and there are different shapes to the snap-on bit so that you can only connect things that belong to your faction, and it, there's an energy cost to connecting them, that kind of thing. And uh, this sounds really convoluted, but essentially what ended up happening was, as I developed it further, um, was you had a card uh, that was your avatar, and then you had say four spaces around it that you're you're dropping other cards on and they add things to your character and then you kind of do battle in an arena doesn't sound very exciting but uh (laughs) there (laughs) there were some novel concepts but it was it was really challenging from a development standpoint especially for somebody who is so new um Mm -hmm. so it, it never really found a finished state but uh you know there there are a dozen or so other ideas that that are kind of in that same space for me. Uh, like, I'm a relatively new designer. Obviously, this is my first uh, Kickstarter project. But, yeah, I don't have dozens and dozens of projects that uh, that I've worked on yet. Sure, sure. Well, you, you have some time, I imagine. So, uh, well, tell us a little bit how you go about tackling a new design. You know, whether it was Quad Heroes or a different one. How do you get started? Where, do you, you know, do you start with a theme? Do you start with a mechanic? How does that process work for you? 
for me personally, it, it depends on the on the project. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll I can talk most about Quad Heroes because it's it's come the farthest. But really, Quad Heroes started with a mechanic, and it was literally me talking about another game project I was working on with a friend and just saying, I had this idea that would have been much simpler to develop because I was kind of getting to the point with with that game that I, I was running up against a wall and I wanted something a little easier to tackle. Mm-hmm. So I was holding a wooden block in my hand and I was like, I had this idea for a video game a number of years ago and it was based on a block tumbling and as it moves, different things happen. So I, I just quickly grabbed one of my daughter's uh, building blocks and... <laughs> And, and literally like a, cu- a wooden cube and I was holding up my hand going on a on the table and I'm going, what if there was a different thing associated with each face of the cube? And that related to how it moved. And and that's really where the, the concept for Quad Heroes came from. And I, I grabbed some dice, uh, just standard dice and some, you know, printable stickers and drew on the stickers and stuck them on the dice and made four different dice and drew a grid on a piece of paper with some obstacles and I called my kids downstairs and said, let's, let's try this. I have this idea and literally prototyped and, and tested in the first 30 minutes. And I was like, this is kind of fun. And, uh, I dropped what I was working on and, and sort of, and pursued that. I mean, it has come (laughs) an enormously long way with so many changes along the way. Um, but like that was really a mechanic that, and everything else grew out of that. And it took quite a, a while to find, to find theme for this game. Um, but I think I found something that's m- at least mildly compelling, but really Quad Heroes is a game based on mechanics. Mm. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, I, li- I like starting with your children's toys. That's <laughs> it's always a good place to start. <laughs> well, we've cracked the seal on Quad Heroes, so let's take a step back with regards to that. And for those that aren't familiar with Quad Heroes, can you give us the, the pitch? Quad Heroes is a tough pitch, and it's funny. I've been at uh, Gen Con and Essen the last few years, and and people ask me what give me the pitch, and it's hard because it's not it's not an easy one. But I guess the idea is that you are a you control a cube shaped character, and then I'm going here with mechanics, not necessarily theme, but and and you sign a different type of movement to each face of the character, and you're so movement is a big part of this. It's it's a race game essentially. Uh, in in many of its uh, forms, there's some race idea that you're, you you want to be the first to do something. So you're trying to optimize your movement while you're going after goals. Like say, uh, there could be a simple rally race, which is really kind of how the game started. But we've we've gone in a lot of different directions with the kind of things that you can do. So you're a character and you're you're racing through a world to gather things and and such it, the pitch really doesn't sound that interesting <laughs> and i've been <laughs> and i've been giving it for years uh <laughs> which is which is kind of scary uh and, and that's that's really the challenge with this game is that it's it the the two second pitch that i've been giving lately or the for the last year is to say imagine mario kart meets super smash brothers meets zelda or indiana jones where it, it's really about kind of a feel and and it it really doesn't feel like a board game it it feels like you're taking a bunch of elements of video games and and putting them together in a in a way that hasn't been done before uh on the table on the tabletop hmm well yeah and and i read on your kickstarter page i mean you mentioned that a lot this this feels more like a video game than a board game yeah what what aspects of it give it that video game feel would you say i think 
so many of the the things that are happening in the game feel like a video game. But the fact that uh, one of the things that, that people say, some of the people who played the game and go, well, I, I like games that are more predictable and that I can control the things that my opponents are doing. And, and I always mention things like when you're playing a, a fighting game on a uh, on a computer like Mortal Kombat, for example, you can't control what your opponents are doing. You have to react to them and have your plan, right? Using your your skills and abilities to deal with what comes to you. And and that's really the kind of thing, it, while you can definitely plan in Quad Heroes, there are things that are going to change that are beyond your control. And you just have to roll with it. And And I think that's very much a video game thing. That's not the only connection there, but but really it's one of those things where you're worried about your plan. You have your, you're going to explore to get cards that are going to help you complete your objectives, whatever they may be, uh, whether it's, you know, getting to the next checkpoint first or collecting a particular uh, item on the board or, you know, herding uh, <laughs> virtual animals. Um, you're you're going to do what you're going to do and your opponents are going to do what they're going to do and the world is going to do, is going to change and you have to be able to deal with it. And I think that's, that's really a new concept. Not, it's not entirely new, but it's thinking about things in that way is, is a little bit different in, in a tabletop game because it's not, it's not that there's randomness in the game because it's really, there's no dice rolling or, or anything like that, but it's like an ever-changing world and the sort of variables that are available to you are changing constantly. And that's, that's very much a video game paradigm. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned how much you like games that don't feel like a multiplayer solitaire game. Yep. Um, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is this really scratches that itch. Is that would that be true? It definitely does. Um, this game, and I think one of the most interesting things about playing Quad Heroes, and I, I'd say games like this, but there really <laughs> aren't any. And I keep saying <laughs> that, and people probably are shaking their heads, going, "I, I find that hard to believe." But the fact that you can play this not solo, but you can play it free-for-all, uh, like player versus player in, in a group thing, or you can play it in, in any number of sort of team-based formats. And when you're playing as a team, it gets, it gets quite interesting because obviously you're, uh, you can share some resources, you're making plans together as a, as a team, and it, it really has that, that feel like a, like a MOBA, like a mo I don't even know what, what that stands for, but games like Dota and, and other video games where you're sort of using your own abilities and strategies to, to sort of work together as a team. And I like that, that ability to both play as a team and play individually uh, as a way to sort of to tell interesting stories. And it really, every game uh, of Quad Heroes is completely different, whether you're playing the exact same scenario or, or not, um, because there's, there's so many variables. And every time you play, like we, for the first year of development of this game, it was always the same. And like the game objectives were always the same, but every game was absolutely different every time. And, and hmm. I think that's, uh, I think for me that scratches a big itch and that's something that I've really worked hard to cultivate with this game. Yeah. yeah I don't know if I answered cool. your question or not. That was rambling. <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, so you mentioned that you've been taking this out on tour to a few cons. How long have you been working on Quad Heroes? It'll be three years in January since the genesis oh, wow. of the idea. Yeah, a very long time. Uh, there were obviously breaks in there where I wasn't working on it quite as hard, but it's been almost a full-time job for the past almost two years, as scary as that is. Uh, I was able to sort of 
do that. And it's as, as amazingly scary as that sounds probably to some people who've, who've also worked on games. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a, a constant progression toward, toward where it's at now. Even though I thought the game was good all the way along, it has changed quite a bit in terms of its, the way it's steered. And yeah, so it's a long time, three, almost three years. Wow. Well, you mentioned it's changed. Tell us a little bit about how it's evolved. Okay. Well, this is a, the easy part. So originally this game was, was, was dice on paper or like dice with stickers on them. And the stickers had directional arrows on each side or a spring to indicate a jump, that kind of thing. So when you turned your cube over to start your move, you would then move in the direction of that arrow, a number of spaces indicated on the, the side of the character itself or on the side of the cube. But the original idea all along was that the things that you could assign to each face would be able to change. And so from that point, it went to, I bought a 3D printer and uh, being a 3D artist and wanting to sort of prototype these concepts, I, I bought a printer and started prototyping a game piece that had a detachable faces. So it went almost like imagine a Scrabble tiles uh, that you took and each, each Scrabble tile had some kind of an action related to movement, whether it's a moving diagonal or left, right, jumping, uh, that kind of thing or like spinning in place. Uh, those are some of the early moves. So I had them all kind of on Scrabble tiles and you would reach into your bag and you would snap them into your game piece, which was about an inch and a half uh, square. And you would use that. And I made sort of more uh, interesting boards and started to evolve that. And that was kind of interesting. And then I added cards to to give you sort of the ability to do other things. And you'd be able to draw a card on the, the sixth face. So it, that's something that's remained the same throughout the history of the game is that there are one of the, the, the sides of the uh, cube has a Q on it, uh, which originally the game was called Cubes with a Q, Q-U-B-E-S. So there was no characters involved, that kind of thing. And the Q, the Q face was like a utility that allowed you to do something like draw a card or uh, change the, the faces of your character in some way. So you could pull off three of them and grab three out of the bag and assign them wherever you like. So eventually, and I thought the game was, was pretty much done, and that was probably a little less than two years ago. And <laughs> uh, I was listening to a podcast and talking about design, and, and someone said, you know, what happens when you have a game concept and you go to a publisher and the publisher says, we need to reduce the cost on this. Could you make it a card game? And those are the kind of, th and saying like these, these are the kind of things that, designers have to deal with if, if you know, cost is an issue. How can you turn this into something that's a little less, less expensive to produce? So I, I basically went, well, what if I made the cube static? Because obviously manufacturing a cube that has removable faces is more expensive. It's something with a bunch of plastic parts and it has to snap together. I was using magnets at the time. Uh, mm. It could have been done other ways, but it, it just, it's expensive uh, and it's a custom piece. So I went, well, what if I made the sides of the cube different colors? And then I had a player board that had those colors written on it. And then I assigned an action to each of those faces via a card or some other thing so that I would just look at my board when I saw that the purple side was up, I would perform the purple action. So that was a revolutionary change in the development of the game. Um, all of the other aspects, which at the time were just basically, it was a race. You're trying to get to one spot on a board and the boards were very kind of robo-rally-like. And 
and that's something that really hasn't changed. There's quite a bit of Robo Rally influence in the board, uh, just in terms of like there are things that push you, and there are obstacles that get in your way. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, the gameplay isn't very much like that at all, but there are some definite definite similarities. So from there, there were there was a lot of evolution in terms of how you played, how the cards the cards became a bigger and bigger part of how the game worked basically giving you options on your turn so you're not always just moving you can also play a card that will do something like place an obstacle on the board or let you draw additional cards or make people other people discard cards there was a lot of that kind of crazy hand manipulation stuff happening in early versions of the game it was uh i, I can't think of a direct parallel but there are sort of a lot of games that do that kind of thing like everybody discards their hands and draws that many cards or pass Everybody take, chooses one card and passes it to a player on their left, and they have to play it right away, that kind of thing. There's, there's really none of that left in the game uh, because it was really too chaotic and people couldn't plan their turns. But sort of that was kind of the evolution as cards came in, and then we started doing something that was a deck builder-like thing. And a lot of the, the, the furry first trip that we made to Gen Con with the game, uh, there was a deck building component. So as you're going along, you're, you have a set of cards at the start of the game that get you more cards. It was very light deck builder, so it, in the sense that you weren't purchasing things, you basically would play a card that says explore two, and you would take two cards off the top of the deck and add them to your discard pile and then typical deck builder fashion. And you would sort of develop a system and you could refine that deck like most deck builders and, and you would have this pool of cards that you're using to help you. Um, and about uh, a little over say 16 months ago or so I, I got in connection with a bunch of local game designers and one of the things that they pushed me to do was simplify so I, I basically pushed to simplify turn structure removing unnecessary things like the, the deck building aspect uh, whereas the cards are really foundational part of the game and, and really create some of the really unique aspects of the game and I focused on based on really the advice of those guys even though you know, just the regular playtesters never really had issues. They, from the very beginning, people were like, this is an incredibly original game. Uh, we had a lot of fun. I can't wait to, to see it on Kickstarter. And I really was pushing hard to get it on Kickstarter long ago. Um, it was just, I just felt like it wasn't in a place where it needed to be. And so simplified and sort of make the, the player's job on their turn, the things that they have to do. So it's not like a really complex turn structure where there are some worker placement games where there are literally nine steps and then there are three sub-steps in each of those. And uh, this game is supposed to play fast and be easy to understand from a very basic standpoint. Although because there's such a brand new concept with this game, the, the tumble mechanic, as we call it, uh, which involves turning your character, your cube, which is now a character, over to perform an action is is kind of a spatial puzzle that people haven't dealt with before. So just that idea means that people are wrapping their head around this new concept. So we have to make everything else as simple as it can be from a rules standpoint. So taking another step back, so evolving to a, a more simplified structure where there are still cards in the game and the cards now, instead of really messing with directly with your opponent's hands and their cards in their hand and sort of making things more chaotic and random, the cards have evolved towards doing things that directly impact you and the world around you. So you can do a lot of things like alter the boards. You can play a card that literally rotates a board section because the boards in this game are modular. So they can you can pick up a board and rotate it 90 degrees or you can uh, dig a tunnel that creates a point-to-point -point connection between parts of the board. 
things like that, building walls to block other players or destroying walls that are in your way. Um, so there's a lot of altering of the landscape that happens in the game. And, and the cards have really evolved toward focusing on that kind of thing and, um, and having permanent abilities like that we call items and pets in the game uh, that enhance what you can do on your turn. Like you can ignore pits. Like a, there's a hoverboard that lets you go over top of something that would normally cause you to die, uh, or at least die in the sense of this game. There's no player elimination, but you would reset to a checkpoint, which is very much like a video game. Um, right. So yeah, it's been a, a long evolution, and, and slowly we came to the idea of using characters because it's uh, more appealing and allows us to bring in more story and, um, and theme. Whereas if you just have these sort of cubes with different faces, it's, it becomes a very abstract game. And I, I really am not a fan of pure abstract <laughs> games at all, uh, even though this has a basis in an abstract mechanic. Well, so that brings us to today, which uh, let's talk about your Kickstarter campaign. So you've been live, I think, for a little over a week now? Yeah, about a, week. a little, little bit past a week. How are things going? Um, I think they're going okay. Um, you know, I, I think the Kickstarter, we put, or I mostly put a ton of effort. I have a friend, Mike, who's been helping developing the game. But with the actual Kickstarter campaign itself... I thought because there was such effort into it, because it's such an original concept, that it would have pretty strong instant appeal. I had a, a reasonably large mailing list that I've been building and, and that kind of thing. So I thought we'd get up to a, a, a pretty good start. But we got to almost halfway after the first two or three days. And we've kind of gone along at a few percent upward every day. So at just over a week, it's at uh, just shy of 60% funded. Mm -hmm. uh, with an $80,000 goal, um, which might seem high, but uh, the costs are actually pretty pretty high in this game. So, yeah, the Kickstarter, I think, is going pretty well. People are enthusiastic about it. I'm, I'm trying to figure out where the challenges lie. I, I mean, there are some specific things that, you know, budget and the fact that it's Christmas and that kind of thing, especially with projects like Kingdom Death Monster and, and some of the other monster campaigns, uh, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> just the really big other projects that are out there have sort of drained people. But but the other challenge, I think, has been just the fact that this is really new and the way that it's presented may not be going after the market that really should be playing it. And uh, so it's been a learning experience, just sort of how to, how to deal with all of the various issues. And um, I think we're still trending towards funding. It's just not going to happen as quickly as I uh, had hoped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean... Hitting 50% after a few days, especially with a goal as large as yours, mm -hmm. it's nothing to sneeze at, for sure. Yeah, I mean, people have been encouraging, and, and it's, like my local community, there's, there's quite a few you know, players and game designers around, and, and they're like, you know, this is a first-time project from a designer, and it's a completely different game idea than, than really has, has been seen before. So with all of those things considered, uh, you're doing quite well. And, and, and I, I agree with that. I, I, I just have really high expectations and I want this to succeed in the best way it can because the sooner we get funded, the more content that we can unlock. And that's the kind of thing that really draws in backers because we do have so much to, to build on here from uh, adding more, more stuff to the game that I think will really excite people. Well, you, know, you mentioned how you had this email list and you were able to use that and leverage some initial buzz about your game. What other things are you doing to kind of get the word out and, and help people find it? Well, a lot of things. Um, so I'm trying to engage local media. So 
I'm, this is a learning process for me, obviously. But I haven't actually officially sent out a press release yet, but I will be doing that today, actually, to try to engage local media because I think there's there's a connection there when you're when you're local that people will want to talk about you. And so I'm working on that angle. I'm advertising on BoardGameGeek using their ad system. I'm running various contests uh, through different means, uh, mostly social media type stuff. You know, win a copy by liking the page, that kind of thing. Trying to engage people on Reddit, which is a new platform for me. I, I've, I was never really much of a Redditor until this, so it's a learning thing. Um, I'm planning on doing um, an Ask Me Anything on Reddit, and I would like to continue to engage people through live streams on the Kickstarter page, because I think that's kind of an interesting thing, and I don't know what Kickstarter users think of of these. I, I bumped into one on another campaign. I was like, that's really kind of cool. I mean, I didn't stay tuned for the entire time, but it was interesting that you can directly engage with the creator and ask questions as opposed to just using the comments. So I, I want to continue to do that as well. Trying to find a way through the board game geek maze and, and try to engage people on, on this as well. And motivating uh, the backers of the project to sort of talk about this kind of thing. And, and it's hard to know what percentage of your backers are really engaged in just like the concept and and want to participate in, in, in motivating other people to, to back the game. So it, that's been a, a learning experience as well and trying to figure out you know how best to sort of move forward and, and engage as many people as possible. But social media is a big part of it, obviously. I'm doing all that I can there and without trying to be spammy. And, that's, and, I, and I worry perhaps too much about that. I guess you want to try to engage people with the benefits of your game rather than just throwing, you know, here's a Kickstarter link, please look uh, out there. So, Right. There's something <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> yeah, you, you want to have something interesting to talk about. So, I mean, that's really what I'm going to be focusing on for the, the remainder of the campaign is just trying to engage people in, in, in a conversation as much as possible. Well, you mentioned the the Kickstarter live stream a couple times. Uh, that's a pretty new feature. Mm-hmm. How does that how does that worked out for you so far? It's hard to say uh, how it's worked out directly because while I'm while you're live streaming with the Kickstarter live functionality, it does tell you when there are new backers. And to be honest, I haven't seen a lot of direct jumps in backers during the live streams, which really wasn't mm-hmm. the intent. The intent is to sort of when people come on the page, they're going to see somebody talking, and maybe that engages them uh, in some way, or they'll they'll look a little deeper. In terms of direct reflection on actual campaign progress, I can't really say. But for me, it's really about getting a chance to talk to people. And I think the more you invest your backers in sort of knowing who you are as as a game designer or a you know a publisher, whatever it might be, and giving them the information they need about your project and feeling that they can participate in whatever way possible, whether it's asking questions that create new opportunities for the game or just sort of helping them to understand what it is that they're investing their money in and helping to fund. And and I think that has been fantastic. And and I want to continue to do that because even though um, perhaps I tend to ramble uh, like I am with this uh, podcast here, but <laughs> uh, I, I just like to talk to people about, about the project because I really am excited about it. I think it's, it's a lot of fun and it's original. Um, and I just sometimes forget to talk about the important things about the game that, that engage people. <laughs> <laughs> well, so a uh, question for you. So a lot of our listeners here on your Tables on Fire are aspiring game designers. They're perhaps looking to launch their first campaign. If you were talking to someone like that, what advice would you give them? 
Oh, that's that's a really good question because I think the the first thing that I would say is you don't know what you don't know. And I, I it's funny I had a my um, my rep from Panda Games Manufacturing, who I'll be using to make the game, uh, say that to me about three weeks ago, and maybe four. And he's like, "You don't know what you don't know." Like just in terms of there's going to be such a huge learning curve. And I thought that I knew a lot going because I you know like most other uh, Kickstarter in the board game realm people read Jamie Stegmeier and, and various other mm-hmm. bloggers who talk about this stuff and I had you know read most of what he's written and I still didn't feel that once I hit go everything that, that came down on me over the first 24 hours I just I wasn't prepared as crazy as that sounds you're just not prepared for the torrent of stuff that's going to happen you're not going to sleep <laughs> you just won't the the first 3 days like are are going to be crazy but i just recommend that you and and this is something i didn't do enough of i didn't have my kickstarter page out there for everyone to look at like to preview before the kickstarter went up i i shared it with only a handful of people and i think you can save yourself a lot of trouble by really familiarizing yourself with the pledge levels and everything that goes into that stuff prior to launching because I, I've made some mistakes there. And there are things that you don't know, which is once you, uh, this is more Kickstarter platform related stuff, but it might be useful. Uh, once you have a backer at a particular pledge level, you cannot make any changes to that description. Even if you forgot something like saying the words, all stretch goals are included in a particular pledge level, even though it, to me, it would be obvious Sometimes to the backers it's not, and once you've got backers, you cannot change that pledge level. So those kinds of things are sound simple, but are uh, are important to consider. But I think get it, getting a sense of how your product is positioned and how to how to talk about it is a really big thing. And for me, it's a challenge because uh, my game is in a different genre, right? So from a marketing standpoint, trying to figure out how to talk about your game. It may not be hard for, for most projects, but for me, it's, it's been a challenge because it's, it really is new and, and trying to figure out what, what language is going to get people to look at it in the first place. And the other, another issue that has been interesting on this campaign uh, for me, and it's something I didn't do enough reading on, was retailers and people wanting to do large group buys. And that's been a challenge for me because Obviously, retailers are people who are buying, say, for a whole chain of stores. I've had some people approach me in Asia, particularly, saying they want to buy, you know, 50 copies, that kind of thing. And obviously, they want a they want a better deal. So, how do you deal with this through Kickstarter, where officially you're not allowed to sell more than 10 copies at a pledge level? But this kind of thing is happening all the time on Kickstarters because it's just part of the economy of board games. Right. And how to, how to deal with this from a backer standpoint, because backers want value uh, and they want to know that they're getting, with their investment and they're really helping you to push this forward and launch your project, that they're getting the best possible deal they can. And, and so if, backer believes that, if a backer believes that a retailer is getting a better deal on something than, than they are, that, that's going to upset some people. I mean, some people understand the economies of scale and that when you're buying 50 copies of a game, you don't have to pay the same price as somebody who's buying one. But typically that sort of thing is happening behind the scenes, and I made the mistake of making it public and then had to kind of go back on it because I lost a number of backers because of that. And hmm. it was a learning experience. Like I, I literally saw a, a few people spoke out about it and, and said they were upset, and I tried to address them and that kind of thing. But silently, probably I lost 20 backers when that 
all went live. And ultimately, the, the trend was still upwards, but it would have been farther up if those people hadn't left. Um, right. and, and, but people always, are, there's, there's people coming and going constantly with the campaign. And I'm, I'm guessing experienced Kickstarter creators see this kind of thing all the time. It's just, you know, something else catches your attention. You have a limited budget and you, you know, s- switch your money to somewhere else. I mean, steal yourself. I, that's a big thing. And, and I don't know if other people have talked about this, but when you're creating a Kickstarter campaign for something that you've really invested so much time and effort and creative energy and you think it's fantastic and then you're out there in, in social media and on Kickstarter and and people are saying negative things you know you have to learn how to deal with that and for me that's been a bit of a challenge just going well how do I how do I deal with somebody who's clearly just trolling me or just generally speaking saying saying something negative without really understanding or whatever and and that's uh, like I would just advise you to just sort of keep a cool head and realize that there are so many other factors involved uh, with the success of a campaign or a particular idea. And, and I think that's something that is important to know. Yeah, well said. A lot of good advice there. Well, Ryan, it is time for me to come clean and admit that this whole podcast is just a, a bait to draw game designers in to play the game design challenge. (laughs) So here's how this works. I'm going to pick a random game theme. Mm -hmm. I'm going to present that theme to you. Then I want you to think about it, mull it over, uh, preferably all out loud, and then pitch back to me what on earth that game might be. You up for that? Sure, why not? <laughs> okay. I, I can't say how well I'll do, but it should be fun. Uh, I'm sure you'll do great. Okay, so I'm going to pick a game theme, and that theme is going to be, okay, it's, it's, a, it's a unique one, Leaky Pipes in the Pentagon. Leaky Pipes in the Pentagon. Hmm. Interesting. So... We've got a, a place that's high security. We've got a plumbing issue, which obviously has to be dealt with by people who are non-top secret clearance people, potentially. Right. I'm thinking of a, a bunch of things here. I think perhaps leaky pipes in the Pentagon. I guess the issue is, are we pursuing fixing leaky pipes? Are we, from the other side, we are Pentagon employees trying to prevent the plumbers while they're doing their job from uncovering secrets that we hold in the Pentagon? I'm imagining the Pentagon as a, uh, you know, Area 51 type place in this scenario <laughs> right. where, where there are rooms, there are rooms filled with, you know, aliens and, and strange top secret devices, that kind of thing. Right. Of course, I'm sure that that doesn't really happen, but it, it <laughs> naturally it, not. <laughs> that information is not available to us so we can assume that uh that, that perhaps it is uh maybe it could be played from both perspectives maybe there is it, it could be a, a sort of semi-cooperative game where one player is the plumber attempting to fix the pipes but perhaps there are influences on him to uncover secrets while he's there, and the other players are trying to stop him from doing that while making sure that he actually fixes the problem because the leaky pipes, you know, obviously aren't uh, aren't a good thing. Right. I'm not sure how right. I'm not sure exactly how that would work. Uh, what the mechanics would be behind that? Um, 
Hmm. Interesting. Or, you know, you could even go a little bit uh, like werewolf or something, where you have a number yeah. of plumbers showing up, but one of them is a is a paparazzi. A you know, he's got a social media account going crazy, <laughs> and so he wants to snap those pictures. You know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think one of the the instant things that popped into my head was was treating this like a like a game like Werewolf or The Resistance or something like that, where mm-hmm. you know maybe one of the plumbers is a bad guy and the rest are are not, or maybe bad guy isn't isn't fair but has another agenda. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, that's a really interesting thing. I, I actually do the the same kind of exercise with the game design group that I run here in town. Uh, I have a meetup group that's for game design, and we've done a few nights where we just pull themes and mechanics out of a hat uh, and hmm. design a game on the spot based on that. And we, we've got a, a really interesting, something that I developed <laughs> based on one of those nights, which was a, uh, a, a worker placement game that takes place in a chicken slaughterhouse. <laughs> and uh, that game actually will probably be a thing at some point uh, after hopefully Quad Heroes succeeds, uh, I can spend some more time on it. But an interesting concept where you're sort of working against another player and you're controlling chickens that are basically your workers and you're also trying to get them out of the factory down this moving conveyor belt uh, where there are stations that do different things like, you know, you don't want to be on the conveyor belt when it, you know, plucks you or whatever. Um, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> but that evolved out of this kind of a discussion. Um, but yeah, so to get back on this one, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, I, I think I think you got it pretty good, you know. I think uh, kind of playing on that... Who, who's on first kind of situation and mm-hmm. you maybe mix that in with a little bit of, uh, you know, so unlike say resistance or werewolf, there could, there could be a board and, you know, people are moving and you're not quite sure are they, are they trying to find that pipe or are they just trying to, you know, <laughs> go look behind that, cl- you know, door number three kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I'm imagining that you mix in the, like the idea, if you have a board, for example, like forbidden desert where there could be like water buildup so that there's like a practical element as well i mean that, right. that changes that that changes the direction completely where you have this building that you don't want to uh, flood it that's i think you're on to something <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome to it <laughs> <laughs> okay well i'll jump on it for sure uh, well ryan it's been a pleasure speaking with you uh thanks for having me it's my pleasure and uh best of luck to you and the rest of your campaign uh, thank you so much. I hope uh, I hope if you haven't listened or checked out the uh, the game yet, just take a look and uh, if, you know, it's definitely an original idea. Absolutely, it sounds sounds really fascinating. And uh, there will be a link in the show notes, so anyone listening, hit up our website and we'll get you a link straight over to Quad Heroes. Well, that was Ryan Eiler, the founder of Wonderment Games and the designer of Quad Heroes. You've been listening to Your Tables on Fire. Check out our website for show notes and a link straight to Quad Heroes on Kickstarter. That's www.yourtablesonfire.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Tablefire. And for reasons we're not quite sure, we're also on Google+. So find us there and give us a plus sign. I'm, I'm not really sure. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and even Board Game Geek. You could also give us a review on those sites, so head over there and tell us what you think. Well, until next time, go light it up.